This episode of the Socks and Sandals podcast is brought to you by Mr. OK's Essentials. Mr. OK's is 100% black owned. Uh, you all have heard, if you haven't heard, the owner, the creator of Mr. OK's Essentials was on the Socks and Sandals podcast episode 101. So check it out. But uh, Mr. OK's provides 100% natural candles, body butter, and soap. Okay? 100% natural ingredients, 100% black owned, and 100% vibes and love poured into every product. All right, now go to the website, www.mrokesessentials.com. In the checkout, enter promo code SOCKS to receive 10% off your next order, okay? Once again, go to the website, get your candles, get your butter, get your soap, get right, and enter promo code SOCKS, S-O-X, and receive 10% off your next order. worth a little more if you're golden yellow enough to remind them of precious metals they're blinded by the radiance in our pigment the milligrams of melanin spread thin enough to let light through the light makes us walk a little soft we can pass the paper bag test in the dark can blend easily into any whitewashed backdrop can dodge handcuffs without paying a fine the The white man's best friend the face of every ad marketed to black people black enough to be a White enough enough to to be be a good good one. one. Our complexion makes even the most racist politicians comfortable. They don't mind sitting next to us. Or shaking hands in public. But but won't won't hesitate hesitate to remind us where we stand. stand. They never call us equal, yet treat us better than our brown assistants. Call Call us redbone. Cast off anyone with a bit of night in their skin. People have always been afraid of the dark, but quick to bathe in the sun. Bow to the white shine of the stars. Even Even black men want women brighter brighter than their mothers, lighter than their sisters, whiter than their daughters. We've always been picked first in a bedroom scrimmage. Like the honey in our skin makes us worth being tasted. What up, what up? Wanna welcome you all back to the Socks and Sandals Podcast, where society, culture, history, and religion collide and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. It's your guy Emmanuel. I'm back in the kitchen. I'm whipping it up and I have a very special guest with me. We go back. Man, I can't even remember how long. Young kids. We go back to probably elementary age. Um knew this young man, old Mount Olivet, man. So way, way back in the day. Are you back in like the Skylar Street days or Stone Tower or, or when did you Man, it was Skylar Street? Okay, yeah. So yeah, we definitely go back to early childhood. Um this woman is now a mother. She is she's just doing her thing. She moved from Portland, went all the way to the East Coast in Virginia. My homie, Karen Burrow. Is it still Burrow? Is it still Burrow? Did I did I mess it up? It is still Burrow. Still yeah. Burrow. Okay. Karen Burrow. Say what's up to the people. Hey everybody. <laughs> the show. Well, <laughs> once again, I, I appreciate you reaching out and following up on the post that I put out there. Um, and I'm just really glad to have you on the show. Have you been listening, you know, over the years? Yeah, I've been listening every once in a while when I remember on my way to work, actually. Yeah, that's what's up. You got a long commute? Uh, about 20 minutes. Yeah, not bad. That'll get you a, a fourth or a fifth of my episodes because <laughs> they'd be running long. <laughs> I, I continue into the workplace, but yeah, I mean, I'll just plug my phone up. Word, for sure. All right, so really quickly before we get going, uh, tell the listeners a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what's the typical day in the life of Karen Burrow. Um, well, I am originally from Oregon. We grew up between my mom and dad in Brightwood, Oregon, on the mountain, and Portland in the city. Um, I am black and white. My mom's white. My dad's black. I have four other siblings, two older and two younger. A typical day life is getting up at 6.30, getting the kids ready, taking them to center, going to work, being stressed out all day. And then going home and being stressed out all evening. <laughs> Hold on, that's that's too so, much stress. I don't like that. What's what's going on? We need some uh, stress relief. <laughs> oh, man, I need some stress relief. I don't even know. I don't even know it'll help me anymore. Some, I got some ashwagandha root, and that's about all I'm doing for that, the cortisol level. What? That's it, huh? So, um, <laughs> marijuana marijuana is not legal in Virginia. I take it. Nah, it's not. Come on but now. I don't, I don't really. I never really smoked like that. Where I feel you, I get too anxious. I can't. I like to be uh, coherent. I man, I feel that. I hadn't. I smoked once, like last year, 
Uh, it was last summer and I hadn't smoked since high school. And I used to get like mad anxiety in high school. My heart started beating off fast. I feel like I'm about to die. And then uh, smoked again last summer. Wasn't wasn't too much. You know what I mean? Just a little some walking around with, with my homie, just whatever. And uh, right. but I was just so lethargic, you know, and it's like that's right. not that's not conducive to parenting and dealing with small children, <laughs> especially <laughs> like. Nah, for me, it's tough because, well, for one, I like to, you know, somewhat be in control of myself and, you know, and so I just felt real like I didn't want to move. I didn't want to be bothered, Um, but I thoroughly enjoy, you know, my kids. So when I come home, it's like, dang, I don't want to be bothered, but I do want to play with them. But like, I really can't, (laughs) but I, (laughs) but I have to, you know, so, right, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really dig that. So. I may not smoke uh, anymore anytime soon unless I just know that I'm going I don't have nothing else to do. Like I can't have anything else scheduled in my day, you know. Right. Yeah. I'll stick to drinking. Occasionally. Occasional <laughs> right. drinking. Word. Not not on the regular. Word. Yeah, just just from time to time. Actually, I had right. I had just went out last was it? Yeah, last weekend. Uh oh yeah, it was it was last Friday uh with the homie and Man, I only had three drinks, but like the bartender was pouring some stiff drinks. Like he would fill up the whole cup. I'll get a Moscow mule, fill up the whole cup and put a little bit of soda at the top. I'm like, man, he trying to take me out. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so woke up the next day. Um, Surprise, surprise. Like my wife and the kids had planned to go to Chuck E. Cheese. I didn't know, but that's th- those oh. are the plans that they made. So. But before Chuck E. Cheese, we had to go clothes shopping because we had a photo shoot the next day. So, like, um, I'm off four hours of sleep, going to the mall, going to Chuck E. Cheese, hungover. I mean, that was just the worst. It make you make you not want to drink for another six months. You know what I mean? <laughs> do Do you get hangovers, or do you you probably or do you not go that hard? Nah, I um, number one always drink lots of water. Mm. Number two, after I turned 21, I learned what does work with my body and what doesn't. So if I stick to vodka or a Sauvignon Blanc or a Pinot Grigio, mm-hmm. I am golden. Doesn't matter how much I drink, baby. Man, that's what's up. Leah. Like I, I had a, <laughs> I had a, for you. yeah, for sure. Like, so basically... And I think this is what it was because I typically wouldn't get a hangover th- that way, the way that I did off three drinks. Right. But I was asking them for Tito's specifically. I was like, I want a Moscow mule with Tito's. The first bartender, right. it was it was a woman, and she I think she like listened and she, you know what I mean? Like she actually gave me the Tito's. But I could tell right. the guy, he was just doing everything real fast, and I didn't see him grab the bottle, but it tasted a uh-huh. little bit different. But I'm like, nah, I don't, you know, it's it's not that big of a deal. Oh, yeah. But I don't think he gave me Tito's because if it ain't Tito's, any other type of vodka is going to mess me up. I definitely can't drink dark anymore. Like my body will not. It yeah, will I not handle any it. Vodka. The trashiest vodka. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> but you got to know what works for you. So <laughs> word. Word. All right. Well, Karen, let's let's get into it. Um, You know, this is a part of the racial identity series. I think you, this is going to be part three where you're I think you're the third person that I've talked to so far. So. Um, if you all are just now getting in on the series, um, I, I was reaching out to people, uh, basically to, to talk about racial identity, you know, race in America is crazy. It's all based off of stereotypes and white supremacy. And so I was hoping to, uh, just reach out to people and, ha- and have them share their stories of, you know, that, that pertain to racial identity and colorism, just people sharing stories that range from tra- tragedy to triumph that pertain to their internal and external struggles with their racial identity. So with that being said, Karen, um, what's your ath- ethnic background? Well, you said black and white, but how do you identify? Um, it just depends, honestly. Uh, I know that I'm black, but I know that people don't perceive me as black. So I'm always cautiously aware of that. Mm. So I guess I would really say I more associate with black just because that's what I'm mostly around. Mm-hmm. So tell me about like childhood. How was it growing up? You know, what were the perceptions like? And, you know, when did you know you were different as a child? Like at what age? How did all that unfold for you? Well, I think, uh, 
third grade. Now, I knew before then, my dad, I mean, you know, my dad, he was always trying to make sure we were exposed to black people and black culture. And mm-hmm. we knew our history because he didn't want us to be those mixed kids that thought we were white. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so he made sure we were very well aware of our black side. Um, I do know that I was aware of it. But the first time I guess I realized that it wasn't necessarily going to be accepted by everybody was in third grade. When obviously I think that's everybody's first experience. I got called the N word. Mm. So obviously I knew it was bad because I slapped her. Mm. And I just remember I got in trouble and she didn't. And I still want to go back out to that school and be like, where's that racist lady that got in my face? Word. I was in third grade. I didn't know any better. Yeah. I thought I was going to get in trouble when I got home for slapping her. I don't even tell anybody. I'm still <laughs> mad about it, obviously. Still upset. <laughs> still upset mm. and mostly because when i got sent to the office i was upset you know my dad he didn't play when we got in trouble word so i was hyperventilating and this teacher came in and got in my face and she said you stop crying you're the one who did something wrong wow and I, that, that me. I don't even know who she was i can't remember what she looked like but i just remember what she said to me i take it she was white of course yeah, yeah we were the only brian and i were the only brown kids in that school man that's why you know Chris and Marcel are white. So, so this was uh what in, in Gresham? This no, this was in Brightwood at Welch's Elementary School. Shout out. That sounds hella white. Brightwood. Where oh, is that? Yeah. That's like up on the when you go to Mount Hood, it's uh after the way stations on twenty six. Oh, Mount Hood, say no more. I get it. <laughs> right, right. There you go. Like I said, we were the only black kids. Well, okay, sorry, there was one other black kid. He was at the um the disciplinary school or whatever and he got to come to our school mm-hmm. but brian and i were besides that kid the only black kids wow and for those that are listening that don't know much about you know portland geography uh right. gresham is about 20 miles east of portland and mount hood is about i don't know 40 or for like 40 miles east or something like that 45 miles it's a good yeah. hour hour and 15 minutes so yeah you was you was out there yeah Man. Right. So looking back, like, because when did you guys move from going to Brightwood to moving closer into the city? Um, in seventh grade, we moved to Gresham. Okay. Did you notice? Sorry. Oh, no, my bad. But I was just, I didn't mean to cut you off. But did you notice, um, did you notice a big difference? Granted, you know, you're older now and you're more mature and you can kind of, you're, you're seeing the world differently as a 12 year old, as opposed to being seven or a 13 year old. But, um, did you notice a big difference going from Brightwood to Gresham and those schools there and, and the kids there because there was a little bit more diversity or was it still, was it still super white in Gresham and there wasn't that big of a difference between schools and areas? I mean, it was obviously a more suburban area, whereas Brightwood is rural. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's still Gresham at, when I was going there was still majority white. So mm-hmm. um, it wasn't like a big difference as far as the culture. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild because Gresham now is like not, it, right. it's I nowhere heard. near what it used to be. So I heard. Yeah. 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 So that'll be interesting. You interesting for you to go back and see all the changes and how different everything is. Right. Yeah. Gresham looks like more like Portland in the nineties now. So it's kind of weird. Right. Yeah. I know that uh, gentrification is crazy out there. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and push people out. They're east. Trying to move everybody out of the city. Yep. It's wild, man. So yeah. when, when did you having, when did you notice yourself having to explain your identity a lot? Um, I know when I moved to Alabama, when I was in high school, that was probably the first time I had, because then I was switched to a completely like all black school. There were two white kids in the whole school. Mm. And a lot of times I was asked what I was. Mm. And then after I explained I'm black and white, they're like, oh, you got to drop black blood in me. You're black. Like, and then that was it. (laughs) But (laughs) they were like, yeah, that's probably the most accepting black community of mixed people that I've experienced living all over the country. What do you mean by that? Well, like if you go to Pittsburgh, you know, I lived in Pittsburgh for a year. Yeah. It's light skin versus dark skin. Mm. And they really don't like light skin people. Like, wow. I used to get looks when I was out with my dark skin friend, like dirty looks all the time. Cause they just thought all the dark skin dudes wanted the light skin chick. Mm, that competition. So, right. Right. 
And then Colorado, like, I wasn't black or white. I was, like, always with the Hispanic. So, like, I, I'm brown, so <laughs> it wasn't a problem for me to just go and fit in and be, like, everybody still thinks I'm Hispanic, so. People walk up to you speaking Spanish? <laughs> Man, you know what? I'm still mad that I haven't learned. I know a little bit. I know enough to get by, but no, I don't, I wish I spoke Spanish. Cause I, then I just tell people I was Puerto Rican and get it over with. Man, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, so Alabama, like, when I was down there, now, they didn't like my mom. The parents didn't. The kids were cool with my mom, but the parents, obviously, there's the both sides on both sides they don't really interact but with the kids they were always very accepting of my mom and me and um i mean i've never that was just family alabama was family montgomery yeah that was probably the best place i've lived man that's crazy like you wouldn't just especially being from the west coast you know the south the south has such a bad reputation um but for you to say that you felt more welcome there than out here, that's kind of wild. I would say I, sh- I should should clarify more welcome by the black community, by the black community. OK, by the black community, because it's still I mean, when I'm like here in Virginia, my uh, kid's father, his family, they think I'm spaghetti and bougie. And I think I'm better than everybody mm. because of the way I talk and because of the way I carry myself and I mix and all this other stuff. Whereas it's like, if you're not country enough, you don't fit in with the black community here. Mm. But in Alabama, they were like, oh, you can talk proper. Like, <laughs> it wasn't like, you know, they weren't hating on me or anything. It was just like, they they accepted me. So I've never been accepted by the black community the way I was in Alabama. Yeah. Now, the white side, I've, I've always professionally worked with white people. Mm-hmm. So I've never had a problem being accepted as far as that goes. But when it came to like school and those kind of interactions, it wasn't like I was kind of hanging out with the other mixed kids or like I said, the Hispanics um, and that kind of thing. Mm. So, but I've never really felt rejected by my white side. I've have felt rejected by black side. Definitely. Mm. And so like in uh, living in Portland and Gresham, like, you know, we went to church right. at Mount Olivet, black church. Right. Uh, right. And, you know, here out on the West Coast, how did you how was the acceptance from both sides or lack thereof? I mean, I would say my church family was always very accepting. Yeah, I never had a problem. Um, I didn't interact interact with many more black people than my church family. Mm-hmm. So I can't really speak on, I mean, when I, when I went to graduation high school, all my friends were either mixed, black or white. Like they didn't, we were just the outcasts anyway, like the band kids. So mm-hmm. like, it wasn't like we were all cool with each other. But, um, as far as like my interaction, you know, Portland's only 3% black. So right. I didn't interact with many black people outside of the Mount Olivet family. Mm-hmm. Well, there, tell me about like a, a situation where like, somebody just thought you were lying about who you are and they like maybe challenged you. Has that ever happened? Um, no, not really. I mean, my brother gets mad when I talk with a country twang, but that's probably the only time I like, I like people just think I'm Hispanic. So like Hispanic people even come up to me speaking Spanish and they look at me confused when I'm like, no, no, hablo. <laughs> but like, no, Really, honestly, the only time people really question me and they're looking at me like sideways is when I say I'm not Hispanic. Yeah. So, like, I don't really, I haven't had to battle anybody on, because, I mean, I got full lips, so they know that I got some brown in me. Mm-hmm. And um, I can, I mean, I straighten my hair. I, you know, I can look whatever. I can look Middle Eastern. I can look Hispanic. I can look not black. I can't look black enough, I guess, but mm-hmm. can't look white. But, I mean, I have police officers when they, in the past have written me tickets they put white on my ticket and i was like really white mm. like that's what you get for me mm. so so wait they still wrote you the ticket i mean i thought white women didn't get tickets <laughs> this white woman gets tickets all you well, didn't cry you supposed, supposed to you supposed to i haven't gotten a ticket in a long time karen 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 break out the white tears what are you doing <laughs> See, I this actually is... did try crying once and it didn't work. My sister, though, you know Nadia, she gets out of, she has gotten out of like any time she's ever been pulled over. Really? Yes. You See, know her. She's just, I don't know, something about her. Look, I mean, if you if you got that, if you can pass for white, you got to use all your white privilege. <laughs> I can't pass for white, though. That's the thing. Like, I'm still brown. I no. Don't know why he put white on 
but he thought you was white. But then you didn't cry, so he was like, mm, she's not, she don't, she don't want it bad enough. She don't want it bad enough. Give me the ticket. Oh man, you right. you're a good citizen. You're a real good citizen. I am a good citizen. <laughs> that's, that's what's wrong with me. But hey, I haven't gotten a ticket, and since I moved out to the country, because I just drive slower, because I'm not in any rush to get anywhere. It's great. It's right. nice. That's what's up. I couldn't imagine living out in the country. I've been a city boy my whole life. Uh, yeah. Is it? Do you feel like as a person of color? Do you feel like it's dangerous out there in the country in in Virginia? Is it like backwoodsy or like what's the what's the setup for you? I mean, Virginia has its areas. If I think about like my boyfriend's mom, she went to an all black school. So it's not very long ago that um, the segregation was going on in this state. Mm-hmm. But and your um, boyfriend is black. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's the father of the, my three youngest. So, um, you know, it wasn't that long ago that this state was dealing with segregation. And, um, I mean, the pool that we take the kids to was whites only not that long ago. Mm-hmm. So I do think in the back of my mind that, yeah, these people might be racist or they might be looking at me a certain way. Mm-hmm. But I don't dwell on it. Mm-hmm. Like, my Elijah, you know, he's, his dad's white, so he looks like a straight-up white boy. And mm. so I worry about maybe him with them being like, oh, you're mixed or whatever. And I worry about my girls because they're brown. But I mean, there's a lot more mixed kids in their schools now than what I had when I was growing up. So I mean, we have dealt with racism. I mean, um, my stepdaughter got called the N-word. Um, mm. Elijah has been called the N-word. Mm. Theo has not yet. She's going to be going to kindergarten, but I'm, I already know it's coming. So I prepare him. They will be called it. That's so, I mean, we know that, but I think that that's anywhere you go. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's doesn't seem to be changing anytime soon. Nah, not yeah. at all. So what's it what's it like, you know, parenting and and having to deal with racial identity and 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 maybe are you intentionally instilling a certain identity in your children or are they just kind of naturally coming to their own conclusions? How is that working out for you? I mean, my dad, he raised us, like I said, to be very aware of our race. I do talk to Elijah about um, his what he will have is privilege because Elijah, for all intents and purposes, will be perceived as a white man. Mm. Um, I talk to him about how it will be his responsibility to stand up for people where he sees instances of injustice. Um, as far as my three youngest, you know, their dad is black. And so them, I need to understand and love themselves and not accept what society tells us about black women, Mm. but that they can be independently beautiful and successful. And, um, I mean, mostly, most important, I just need, um, for girls in general, girls need to love themselves. For sure. I dealt with a lot of self-esteem issues. So I know for my girls, like I'm not playing that game at all. Like you will love yourself. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah. how do you how do you instill yeah. that self love? Mm-hmm. Man, just I mean I make sure Elijah lets them know like he treats them right, and so because the way your siblings treat you really is what defines you. I can't think. I mean I can think of things my dad said to me that made me who I am, but the way my siblings treated me probably had a bigger impact on who I am than anything. Mm-hmm. So I make sure that my kids love each other and treat each other with respect and don't call each other ugly. Don't call each other fat. Don't call each other skinny. Mm-hmm. Don't say bad things about each other. And I'm, they know that I'm very strict about that because what you say has a bigger impact than, I mean, I'd rather get beat on every day than somebody break me down uh, verbally. Mm. So um, just, you know, making sure our words are positive and that we're being positive to our children and um, showing them a positive example. Yeah, that's that's so real, man, because, you know, we think about, you know, like the worst, uh, the worst little saying that they taught to us as kids was sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Like that is so backwards. (laughs) Like words can can destroy you from the inside out for your whole life. (laughs) Like, yeah, that's, that's crazy. So that's, that's good that you're, you know, instilling that in them. Um, because words are powerful. Words are are living like they live in us. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm very, very serious about um, just the words we use. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, you can, I mean, like I train people sometimes when I'm working and I'm all like positive reinforcement is so much more beneficial. I see people who, if you think you can do it, you can do it. But if I'm telling you, you can't, or you're telling yourself you can't, you will never be successful. Mm-hmm. You have to tell yourself that you're capable. And the first thing that to come to like telling somebody that they're capable is to hear it, that you're capable If you're having self doubt and I hear it from somebody else. Like, okay, you think I'm doing good and you know what you're talking about. All right, maybe I am doing good. And then I'm going to try harder to be successful. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, words, words have power, man. They have so much power. That's, that's a fact. Now, is it, is it a challenge? Do you think it's more of a challenge, you know, having a son that is, that, that can basically pass for white and having daughters that have, you know, a darker complexion. Um, do you think it's tougher having both both sides of the spectrum in the household? Is it tougher for you or is it tough for your boyfriend or for the kids? Like how does how is that working out for you? Um, you know, I I don't really think that it's tougher. I think I kind of failed as far as Elijah teaching him um, black culture, just because my dad had us watching Roots by the time I was his age, yeah, and he had got to see it. Um, I I try and keep him up with today's issues. Like you know, he is very aware of police brutality as an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, he is very well aware of you know racial injustice as an issue. He is aware of the fact that um, black people have a lower life expectancy than white people, whether college educated or not, mm-hmm. just because of the stress that we live with being a black person and dealing with the issues that we deal with. Mm-hmm. So um, for me, it's more um, teaching him popular issues and topics as they come up and letting him be aware. Whereas my girls, you know, they're five and three, so I'm not really pushing them. Um, I just need them to understand that they they will be they will have their own success. I mean, black women I've seen most of the black women in my life are very successful women. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think I heard Trevor Noah was saying, and I'm not sure that it's him, but that black women are one of the first uh, women in society that actually are out educated or out educated. Oh, my gosh. Why can't I say this? They're higher educated than the black men. Right. So that's the first women in society who are more educated than the male counterpart. Mm-hmm. That's what I meant to say. Yeah. I think they're so, the most, I think they're more educated than everybody when it comes to like, they are. yeah, they are. like per, per capita, you know, the percentage yeah. of black women that have a college degree versus Hispanic, white, and, right. and men, like everybody. I think they're the most educated, you know. Yeah. Group. And specify that we are talking about um, when we look at the black community, we're comparing, you said, per capita, which is correct. Like, yeah. rightfully, our population versus the white population, while there may be more pop or educated white women mm-hmm. in the world, in this country, right. the comparison for the number of the people in that population, black women are more educated. Right. So, um, I think that that was probably that's probably a really hard thing for people to comprehend because, Mm -hmm. you know, when you think about police brutality and we say that black people are being killed at a higher rate than white people, there's more white people. So obviously more white people are being killed. But when you think about the percentage of black people compared to the percentage of white people, black people are being killed at a higher rate than white people. Right. No doubt. No doubt. So, um, I mean, that's just that's but that's what I'm teaching my son. Like you, you have to use your brain. You can't think of what what other people are telling you is correct. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you have to look at the numbers and see it for yourself. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the coldest part about, um, you know, the media society and the education system. Like, you know, my, my son, he was going to a private school at one point in time and they was teaching him some backwards stuff, you know, right. and he would come home and talk to me. I'm like, no, that's wrong. It's like, but daddy, like that's, that's what this is. I was like, look, that's wrong. Look, I understand you have to, Look, this is what you do. You go to school. You know what they want you to answer. You know how they want you to answer. And then you answer it just so that you get a good grade. But when you come home, right. I'm going I'm to teach you the truth, right. <laughs> you know. And so right. just just know the difference between the truth that daddy's giving you versus, you know, the information that the school is giving you. 
take the test, pass the test, know their way of doing it, but just know that their way is backwards and wrong. And what I'm telling you out of love is the truth. I mean, honestly, that's a good lesson to learn just in general. Yeah. I mean, I think about work, like when you have a supervisor watching you, yeah, you're going to do it the way they want you to do it to get it done. But then once they're not watching, you learn what actually works for you. For sure. So, I mean, yeah. you got to learn what's the truth and learn to teach yourself too. like, you should know, you know, for yourself what, and my dad always taught us to research. Don't ever take anybody's word for it. That's research a fact. Yourself. Yeah, that's a fact. I mean, I was so mad. One day my son came home and, you know, he was telling me about like all these little assignments they was doing and just little. And it was something, something real subtle, but it was real detrimental if you if that's all, you know. So they were talking about colors and, you know, all the different colors. I think it was like first or second grade. I think it was second grade. And then he was like, oh, yeah, well, daddy, um, you know, there was this color, that color. And then we got to black. But they said. They said black isn't a color, it's a shade. I said, What? Oh yeah. I said, excuse me. <laughs> I said black is the like what? Black is the ultimate color. What do you mean? Every black you can't get any more color than that. What are you talking about? I was like, no, black black is a shade. And I'm like, man, look at these suspected white supremacists teaching black people and teaching white people that black isn't even a color. And so when and so then, like, as they get older and they're discussing race and and racial issues, it's like black people or they're not, you know, they're they're less than when it comes to society outcomes. And I mean, what kind of people are they really? They're not even like they're called a color, but they're really just a shade. So, like, they're they're basically nothing. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's small, it's subtle. But I don't know. I might be thinking too deep into it, but there's certain things like that. I'm like, no, Elijah, black is a color and don't let nobody tell you otherwise. Um, yeah, do you, you got to, no, you good. You good. I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, but for your, for your daughter, since they're younger, um, I know you have a little bit of time, uh, to get them ready for the world, but do you, are you, do you have in mind, like what type of media you want to expose them to? you know, to have the proper framework of, of how they're going to see the world and what's going to help benefit them growing up? Like certain movies, certain TV right. shows that you want to get them kind of low-key indoctrinated on or anything like that? <laughs> I mean, my, my number one goal, like I said, for my girls is being strong, successful, independent black women are who I want to be their role models. Um, more recently, since they're younger, they're watching Zendaya on Casey Undercover mm-hmm. on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just a confident, um, loves herself, wears her hair, hair curly, um, accepts who she is, uh, even outside of that show. So, I mean, she's a great example as that, far as young girls are. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Like, my son watches that show all the time, and I, I watch right. it with him, and I never even thought about her. (laughs) Huh? It's a positive black family. It is. And I never like it just I'm glad it. I I mean, I don't know, but I just didn't even think about it like that. I was like, oh, this is a great show, you know, but to have her to be the main character and like she's smart, she's funny and she's fierce and she's beating up grown men (laughs) and she's a superhero. Like, whoa, this is yeah. yeah. And it's funny because like her friend is because typically like on Disney shows, it's the opposite. Like it's the smart white, whatever. And then if they do have a black friend, it's the typecast, like sassy, whatever. But like her white friend is kind of ditzy and like not necessarily that smart, but she's the one, you know, it's like a role reversal. Um, yeah. But it's, it's dope to see that. I never even thought about it like that. It is. And they have a good, um, a good mix of culture with, you know, there are Asians on the show. And mm-hmm. I mean, the little, the black girl who's a robot, like, yeah. she's a fashion, she designs her own fashion. Oh, really? A lot of her outfits that she wears on that show are sh- outfits that she designed herself. Yeah. So, That's... I mean, and then she's a genius. She's a robot. So she's <laughs> another smart, you know, dark-skinned black girl. Yeah. Who is a positive role model for your darker girls. And she dresses cute mm-hmm. and 
she's not like a sexy, uh, you know, thing that they're looking at, but she is a beautiful young girl that has her hair done all the time. She's not, you know, looking a mess. She's not talking ghetto. She's not doing anything crazy that they would like us to perceive our, as our, you know, our culture Yeah, is the negative aspects, but she speaks very well. And she's an, a perfect, a perfect example of what, you know, the true black people are like. What, not what society wants us to think about ourselves i should say for sure so have, i mean i love that show yeah that I show is dope and they love it and they leave me alone when they're watching it so <laughs> i'm all about that like <laughs> my mom have her wine y'all watch casey undercover before bed like mm, <laughs> can't go wrong with that I do parent my kids, by the way. I just need to clarify. Oh, I'm I'm not judging you. I'm not judging you. I do the same. I do the same thing. Right. So, hey. I, mean, I got to unwind after work. I need some time. Yeah. We need our sanity. There's nothing right. wrong with that. I will let Casey right. Undercover raise my kids for at least an hour. <laughs> and I mean, I even watch it. I think it's funny. So. Yep. I'll be watching it, too. Like, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Catch myself after they're in bed and I'm still watching Casey Undercover. So. <laughs> Yeah, man. It's crazy to see uh her her dad, Kadeem Hardison, and then they had Jasmine Guy come on there. I'm like, yo, that's right. crazy to see them like 20, 25 years later. You know what I mean? Right. Just that's it's wild. Yeah, and even um what's her face? Raven. Is she on there? That's so Raven. She she was on a couple of episodes on there too. She was, so, huh? She was like his sister was she his sister or something like that? No, she was the robots creator. Oh, black woman. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I didn't think about how deep that show was, man. That's that's dope. That's crazy. Just went over my head. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean that's like the Bill Cosby of today. Like you think about it, like you see a successful, together, loving family. Like that's Mm -hmm. today's Bill Cosby. That's today's uh, Fresh Prince. Yeah, highly functional, no drama. Right. No drama, minus the spy stuff. But right, I mean, right. The mom is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only thing I would say could pe- be perceived by, I would say, more so the black community than another thing is the light skinned mom with the dark skinned dad. Because I know that that mm-hmm. is a lot of, you know, vilifying the black dark skinned women, mm-hmm. um, not being perceived as beautiful enough. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that's maybe if you want to search for a negative, and that I mean, that is something that we see everywhere where. Yeah. black men are always with the lighter skinned woman or however it may be mm. so there is that issue but Word. how much how much woman, so i'm okay with it yeah no <laughs> doubt i feel like i might have already kind of asked this but like now that you said it like has there been an issue from dark-skinned women towards you oh absolutely i mean i I was always afraid of just black women because like not the ones we went to church with because we saw those, but more the ones that um, in high school that acted like I didn't see black women acting quote unquote ghetto or, you know, acting like men or trying to fight all the time and stuff like that until high school. So then I started to be afraid of them because I was like, I mean, I had one who tried to fight me for no reason. Mm. And I was just like, okay, so that like created this fear of like dark skinned black women. Whereas um, at church, you know, you see a different community mm-hmm. where they were just different. So I, uh, and then like, like I said, in Pittsburgh, the dark skinned women hated me. So especially mm-hmm. for who I was with out there. So like, it just, it depends. I wonder why Pittsburgh is like that. So tough, you know, Man, the, the blacks, hate each other like the light skin if it's light skin versus dark skin it's crazy like y'all don't get enough from the white people like y'all gotta start doing it amongst yourself mm. so did you find yourself just having to pick a side and just staying away from anybody that wasn't light skin um i'm sorry say that again i was saying did you did you find yourself when you were out there in pittsburgh did you find yourself just having to kind of play into that role of, you know, just picking a side or did you kind of fight through it and just disregard it? Um, I kind of just, I honestly, I was so oblivious to like everything that it was usually brought to my attention. So 
Like, I didn't, I mean, I just hung out with who I hung out with. Obviously, when you're in college, you hang out with the girls in your dorm, and they weren't all from that area, so they all kind of accepted each other. It was more like when I was out from the community, and then I would be told, like, oh, well, she's, like, glaring at us, or look at that. So it wasn't, like, something that I was cognizantly aware of. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's kind of like. It just kind of happened, and then when you look back on it, like, you know what? This is kind of crazy. <laughs> well, no, I remember specifically probably when it came to my attention most was when we were all down in the um, lobby of the, the towers talking. And one of the girls was just like, man, all the dark skinned dudes just want the light skinned girls. And uh, they don't ever want to mess with no dark skinned dudes. Look at this one. And like talking about me. And I was just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, they, they pointed out you as this one. huh? Yeah. Mm. Like, look at this one, like with the dark skinned dude and. All they wanted the light skinned girls and like all this stuff. And like, I was just like, man, really? Okay. Like, I didn't realize. Mm. So, yeah, that's wild. That's like when I really started realizing. And then I'd be like, and then, like I said, when we'd be out like at Walmart or something, they'd just be like, man, this person, look at them looking like over here. They would like say something as they walk by or or whatever. But I, I don't know if they were more mad at him than me because, you know, he's the sellout. So. Mm. Why is he the sellout? Why why he gotta be the sellout? Man, that's... you know, you know, in Oregon, we love to call a black man a sellout. Word, but like I, in Oregon, I don't know about Pittsburgh, but in Oregon, if yeah, you're a black man, you can. Out for the light skin girls. Nah, nah, hold on, man. In Portland, we ain't like that, are we? Let me let, let me uh, think. Let me not, think. Not now, because I know it's gotten better. But <laughs> man, I, I've called plenty of people a sellout. Really. Well, I know I know a brother would be a sellout if well used to be. Now it's just like pretty much acceptable. Um for for the most part, except, you know, certain people. But um, you know, a, a brother that's dating a white girl, that's considered right. a sellout back in the day for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, let him know. Let him know. But a brother <laughs> dating the other way around now. Yeah, that too. That too. It's a one way street. Well, you said it is a one way street or it's not? It's it is a one-way street. Only black men can be sellouts. Oh, uh, well, yeah. I'm. You might be on to something. You might be on to something. I mean, back in this is back in you know the late nineties. When was I out there? I graduated in two thousand three. Yeah, late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. This was all. All you saw was black men with white women, and that's nothing against y'all because that's where I'm a product of. Mm-hmm. But as a woman who was perceived as brown or Hispanic, whatever, it was black men were our pool. Mm-hmm. So when they're pulling into the other one, we we couldn't we weren't pulling up white dudes like like they were pulling the white chicks. Mm. So and that's why it was a one way street. But now I, I'm I'm shout out to the sisters in Oregon because y'all are pulling the white dudes now. <laughs> that's that's good for you. And I see it out here that you see a redneck dude who you think has a KKK flag in his garage and then pull up with the most dark skinned female ever mm-hmm. <laughs> in virginia yeah like that's crazy to me but um yeah like it, it was a one-way street in oregon and the black dudes were all with the white chicks mm. except for yourself good for you <laughs> black women appreciate all it the, all the guys that i ever really liked liked black women so i was just out of luck mm. <laughs> well tell me i mean how did how did you perceive black dudes that dated white girls like in high school did you did you see them as a sellout as well, or were you like, ah, it is what it is? How did you feel about it? No, when I was in high school, let, now let's let me just be clear. I was a teenager. I, I was all on the sellout train. All on, I was riding that sellout train. Y'all Wh- sellout. Why <laughs> though? Why? Because I, the black men were my pool. Like that was the, the guys who wanted to date me were black men, and so y'all want these white girls, and then. They're all getting the black dudes. Like, I mean, I went to Gresham High School. They were all dating white girls. And there were, like, six black guys. I know. I know. (laughs) So so you you had a a shallow pool and you was mad when they... Real shallow pool. (laughs) I mean, I wasn't that cute in high school, but I can't even say that. Don't say it about yourself, Karen. I was all right, but I look look way better now. Trust me. Word. Word. So... (laughs) But did you did you feel did you ever feel like um, conflicted 
when you feel, I mean, I know that's your pool. It's more of a competitive thing, um, not necessarily a prejudice thing. But did you ever feel conflicted, you know, um, seeing the black dudes as sellouts because they was only going for the white girls? However, you know, you're you're half white and your and your mother is white. So was there any conflict internally when you felt like that and then thought about, you know, your your background? I mean, I, I did kind of feel guilty every once in a while because my mom is a white woman and that pulled herself a black dude. Um, so I kind of felt bad, but I never thought of like my mom is white. Like she is my mom. So word. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't, I did feel a little guilty about that, but yeah, that's funny that you say, or it's, it's interesting that you say like, you didn't, it wasn't about race. You didn't really see it that way with your, with your mom. With my mom. Yeah. 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 Um, to wrap this up, like, have you over over your life, have you felt like you've had identity struggles and identity issues, you know, due to being biracial? Uh, and if so, you know, how did you overcome that? I mean, absolutely. I, I, having lived all over the country, like I said, I, I've just been able to adapt, I guess, Mm -hmm. really to where I'm at. I think Austin said, you know, when you're with the white people, you adapt to, you know, who you need to be to be accepted in that community. Mm-hmm. And when you're with the white people, you adapt to who you need to be. And it's not necessarily, uh, um, I guess, changing who I am because I'm still who I am. I love to crack jokes and stuff. It's just the things you talk about, I guess, really kind of just modifying that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. For sure. If there was if there was a way to like totally eradicate racial classification and do things a different way, would you would you like to see the world go in that direction? Uh, or is there is there something that you've thought about where you wish, you know, people could be reclassified or just not classified at all? Like, how do you feel about that? I mean, I think we need to accept and understand that we are different. Mm-hmm. Um the people that say I don't see color, that just, I mean, that doesn't sit well with me because we are different colors. That's something that is what it is. I would love to see um, people understand that black people can be successful or that the racial stereotypes that we see are not correct. Mm-hmm. And for black people to feel like, you know, they can be who they want to be. They can be a CEO. And I think we're seeing that a society is progressing in that direction. But, I mean, honestly, I'm in Virginia. It's like 1980 out here where segregation just ended. Mm. So in Portland, you see it more. And in bigger cities, you see it more where people are progressing. But I would say where I'm at, uh, people aren't really progressing as fast as they would in a bigger city. But And that may be opportunity also. Yeah. So, I mean, but I would love to see people just be able to be who they are. Mm-hmm. And be successful in who they are and be accepted for who they are. But yeah. I think we also still need to understand that we are, we have our cultures. And I mean, Asian people have their culture and Hispanic people have their culture. And, mm-hmm. you know, black people, we have our culture. And um, our culture is family. It's not ghetto. It's not the hood. It's it's that we are family. And I mean, even at my job where I do long-term care for people who are low income, like you, you see the black people are taking care of their family members. Mm. So, um, I mean, that's the biggest thing that I need people to understand is that we are family. Mm, that's a fact. We are family. That's beautiful. You right. know, the the whole, you know, there's there's so many people on so many or just different sides of the spectrum when it comes to um, black and mixed or biracial. You know, of course, the colorism, light skin, dark skin. And and I, I just I don't like race because it tries to put everybody in a box and it also has people. Um, people will like not be themselves and try to fit every part of the stereotype (laughs) just, just to be accepted. And then there's people that use that stereotype to exclude people who should be, you know, right. Right. But like, I think, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I think the thing that I have the big, I take the biggest issue with is, um, when a white woman dates a black man, a black man, and loses her identity. She thinks that she has to act mm. ghetto to be with that black man. And you see, I mean, I see my mom 
is a white woman and she accepted her whiteness and she was not trying to be hood or trying to do whatever the stereotype is. But you see white women who are more stereotypical than the movies and the <laughs> music videos mm -hmm. because they're dating these black men. And that probably drives me the most crazy. So I'm like, dude, just be like, if you're going to date a black man, good for you. That's on you, man. But be who you are. Like, don't change who you are just because of who you're dating. Like, you have to be this ghetto female just Word. to be with this man. Where she start rocking braids, change right. up her whole wardrobe. Her language, talk, like, her the way she talks just changed. The music she listens to. Like, man, if you want to listen to country, I listen to country. I love country music. I'm not, not going to change that for anybody. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, be who you are. Like, if you're going to date a black man, obviously you wanted to date a white woman. Like, you didn't want to date a, the, the assistant for, for whatever reason. Then be who you are. Like, yeah, just just living your truth. You you was white before you yes. got with him. It's okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. Do you have do you notice fluctuating moments of experiencing privilege and discrimination at the same like in in close proximity, you know? Um I mean I I guess maybe the way that I carry myself and I expect to be treated with respect regardless of how I look. Mm -hmm. So I honestly, I don't really perceive, I guess it's always after the fact that I'm thinking, oh, that person was probably being racist or mm -hmm. whatever. So I don't really perceive it like when it happens, I should say. Word. So you don't, you don't feel like, you know, Austin was telling the story about when he was in Walmart and when he's all dressed up and looking nice, he don't get okay. bothered. But when he has on the hoodie, He's, he noticed himself getting trailed by the security, right. you know? Yeah, I mean, I can't say that for myself personally. Like, I know that for me, a long time, I didn't really understand how racial discrimination happened until I was riding with Brian. You know, my brother Brian, he's yeah, darker. For sure. He probably looks the most black out of all this, just so everybody understands. Um, him and I are the only ones that are really brown. Um, Chris and Marcel look straight up like white people and Nadia. Um, is light skinned. Anyways, um, so I was with Brian, we're driving in Oregon, and there's a police car, and the car like made a point to go around him, and then he goes over into the left lane, and she drives up around the other side of him. And I'm just like, what is going on right now? And he's like, she wants, she's looking for a reason to pull me over. And I was like, this really happens. Like, oh my mm. gosh. So like, for me, I've never really, I mean, I always just knew who I was, but I didn't perceive the racial stereotypes until that moment and then I became profoundly aware that oh my gosh like it really people are really looking at a black person and saying like oh he's got drugs or whatever and I mean I guess it's, I always put it as somebody else because I don't think that people see me as black I think people see me as Mexican or <laughs> Puerto Rican so. yeah yeah so I mean I know when people are looking at me they they're probably thinking like oh this um, I mean I had a bus in Oregon he, I pulled the string for him to stop and he kept going past my stop and I got out when he finally stopped. I was like, Hey, you missed my stop. And so when I get off the bus, he's like, adios. And then shuts the door. And I'm like, what? Wait, wow. What like, wow. It never really, it never really like hits me until it never really hits me until it's too late. <laughs> mm -hmm. So he, but, yeah, he knew what he was doing. Oh, he knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. He races and effort. Yeah. But. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, like I said, like, most of my perception is what happens to other people versus what happens to myself because I'm just thinking, I mean, I'm never completely aware. Yeah. Until it's, until I realize, like, oh, they think I'm Hispanic and they're being racist because of that. Yeah. Yes, uh, it's amazing how just like one or two, one or two experiences can really open up your eyes to everything that people have been saying. And that's why I like part part of the time, like, you know, when when white people are oblivious to the struggles of black people, like I, I try not to get too emotional and too mad about it, because like especially out here in Oregon, how could they know if you if you go to white schools, you go to white church, like everything, everywhere you go in society is white. Why, why would you believe that black people are telling the truth? And if you, right. every time you interact with a police officer has been favorable, it's been nice or right. all of that type stuff. Um, and, e and even for yourself growing up uh, in a biracial household, but not really experiencing that until 
you ride with your brother and you're just like, yo, this is really right. real, you know, and it just it just raises a new level of consciousness within you, man. It's crazy. Yeah, it absolutely um, makes a difference sure. once you finally realize like, OK, man, like this really is happening. Yeah, because like I said, I mean, I, I knew I, I believe that it was happening, but you can believe it. It's it's just sympathy and empathy. Yeah. The sympathy is, you know, where you, you feel bad, you understand. Empathy is when you put yourself in that position. And once I realized it was happening, that's when I'd be able well, that's when I was able to be empathetic to the situation. Mm-hmm. And really understand like, oh my gosh, this really is happening. Yeah. Like this ha- something has to change. And it started I guess it really started making me um, anxious because um I just it, it makes me sick. Yeah. You know, that people are being able to murder human beings with no remorse. Yeah. And people laugh about it. Yeah, it's wild. And then it makes you have even more anxiety and fear for your brother now just because you know how he's gonna get treated because of how he's perceived. When I talk about the stress of being black, I mean legitimately the stress of being black is what kills black people. Mm. Heart disease is cortisol levels caused by anxiety and stress. Mm. And that is one of our number one killers. Yeah. It is the stress of being black is killing our community. And um, I mean, something's got to change. Yeah, that's that's so real. That, you know, more mixed kids, baby. What'd you say? More mixed kids. That's the solution. Mix them up, baby. <laughs> Mix them up. Mix them up, baby. Ooh, girl, I, I'm I'm trying to save you. I'm trying to save you, but <laughs> hey, no, I'm just kidding. Hey, I'm mixed. It's your truth. Don't hate me. <laughs> my babies, my babies are mixed, whether they want to be or not. Already, already. All right, I want to wrap this up for you. I know you got the kids with you. Um, I'm, I'm gonna hit you with the fat five plus one five questions I ask everybody. So, um, first things first, what is your favorite genre of music? I already told you it's country music. Country. Oh, my bad. What what album or artist made you fall in love with country? Man, Garth Brooks, Standing Outside the Fire. Mmm. Never heard it. Standing Outside the Fire. Okay. You never yeah. heard that? No, I haven't. I, I'm you not heard going. it, but you just don't, you, you don't remember it. Sorry. Karen, I promise <laughs> you I've never heard a Garth Brooks song in my life. <laughs> Unless unless uh, Garth Brooks is the one that did Achy Breaky Heart, I don't know a Garth Brooks no, song. No, no. Who is that? All right. Who is that? I have no idea. All I, all I know of country is Achy Breaky Heart and Old Town Road. That's it. <laughs> That's all I know. All right. All right. <laughs> but shout out to Garth Brooks, man. He's doing his thing. Uh, question number two. Is there a movie that has changed your outlook on life? Um. Yes, there was a documentary. I was forced to watch it in my freshman year at JMU, and it, uh, it's called Unnatural Causes. And when I talk about the stress of being black, that, that is a documentary that made me realize that um, college-educated black women have higher rates of miscarriages and premature births than a high school dropout of a white woman. Wow. So, And then just talking about the poor community and the issues that plague the poor community – um, I used to think that, you know, hey, my mom pulled herself up by her bootstraps and didn't really think about the societal impacts of people who are poorly educated. They cannot pull themselves up by the bootstraps. I mean, if you can't read, how are you going to be successful at a job? Yeah. So wow. um, you just really opened my eyes to understanding what's going on. And you said that was called Unnatural Causes. Unnatural Causes. OK. It's a documentary. I need to watch that. I, I never heard of that. Yeah, I appreciate you that. You gotta watch it, man. Everybody should watch that. For sure. For sure. Um, we kind of touched on this, but question number three, when you feel overwhelmed, how do you de-stress? I don't de-stress. You don't de-stress. <laughs> <laughs> I don't de-stress. I, um, I, I, I honestly, if you have a suggestion, <laughs> like I said, it's the ashwagandha fruit. Man. Uh, well, it kind of sounds like you had a, a small a small remedy, which was turn on Casey undercover and get your, you know, get your little <laughs> glass, glass of wine. wine. Yeah. Bottle. Word. Word. I mean, uh, the bottles. I'm a, a, an amazing mother. <laughs> Word. <laughs> Nothing bothers me. Oh, you spill Kool-Aid? Cool, man. I'm going to clean that up. <laughs> no problem. 
I would. I would. Uh, I would suggest. How early do you get up in the morning? Uh, we get up at six or six thirty. I would say try to get up before everybody. So get right. up at five five thirty, and just have that time to yourself. So start your day in peace. Maybe attempt to meditate or do something, you know, that just clears your mind. And then it can hopefully help set the tone for your day because at least or, and then it'll like give you something to look forward to. Like, man, I'm I'm looking forward to getting up at five or five thirty so I can have my peace because I know as soon as right. these kids, kids get up until they go to bed, like it's going to be, you know, what I mean, it's going to be full time work. So, yes, that might work. Who knows? That that would require me to get up earlier. I mean, I I, I could try that. <laughs> try that. Get back to I me. Let me know. Later. Yeah, yeah, that too. It's it's either one. Yeah, I mean, I know when I put the kids to bed, like I feel so much relief. Like that's how I de-stress. Right? Try to get them in, in bed at like eight eight thirty. Oh man, I'm good. Right. You know what I mean? I'm chilling. Summer, summer man, the sunlight kills me because my daughter's like, mommy, it's still wild outside. It's not bedtime yet. Where? In the winter, we're talking about six p.m. Baby, six p.m. <laughs> bedtime. Dark outside. Right. Right. Yeah, I need to uh, I need to invest in some blackout curtains for my kids because this sunlight in the summer is messing up their sleep schedule. Man, mm-hmm. for real, painful. All right. Question number four: If you woke up tomorrow and found out that you won the lottery for a hundred million dollars, how would you spend your money and your time from that day forward? Uh, man, I would spend my time doing things I love with my kids. So Word. money would be invested in them and their success. I mean, my whole life really is about building them up. Yeah, It stopped being about me when I got pregnant with Elijah. Mm-hmm. So um, I would make sure that they're set up to be successful and um, set them up with their college funds. So they don't have to worry about that expense and mm-hmm. get us a house where there's a good school system and um, just make sure that they are doing the sports they want to do and staying active and um, being who they really realizing their full potential. Word. That's what's up. Question number five, what message do you want communicated at your eulogy? Uh, I guess that I made my life about my children and that I tried to bring positivity to the world and help people when they need it. Um, mm. that I found joy in helping other people. Hmm. I can dig that. Now, and, and what what type of work you said you do again? I work at social services. Word. So you working with people, helping people out all day, every day. Elderly people and disabled people. It's my favorite community. Man, that's dope. Yeah, you're doing the Lord's work right there. Right. I love it. So um, the plus one. Uh, if you could choose any one celebrity as your life coach. Who would it be and why? Um, it's not, I mean, I guess, uh, what's his face? Um, old boy who do, does T25. T25. Oh. Body. That yeah. dude is like excited. <laughs> he's energetic. He is always, he's like encouraging people. Like that makes me want to work out with him. Yeah. Like he, I would like to see, cause he's successful. Mm-hmm. He has a happy family. Um, two beautiful children. And I mean, when you see him in the workout videos, he's always like, you, you can do it. Um, I have faith in you. Like I'm all about positive encouragement. So yeah. I think that probably is the most effective tool that anybody could use. Word. He's um, highly successful. Man, I'm trying to think of his name. Is that, that's the black dude. He's bald headed. Um, right. Uh, and he's, I follow him on Instagram and I can't remember. Damn. What's his name? Let me see. I'm about, I'm about to. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Body. <laughs> T25. It's going to kill me not to know that dude's name. I know. Sean T. Sean T. Yeah. Yes, he is the beast. Word. He is super positive. He can, super <laughs> he can, positive. He can get successful. you to do anything. Yeah, for sure. Crazy successful. Oh, yeah. He did insanity, bro. I did insanity one time for like. Mm, maybe three days. And I'm like, I'll right. never do this again. Insanity but was crazy. Insanity. I'm going to tell you about insanity. Insanity, you can half-ass insanity. And like, I half-assed it for like the first three weeks because there was no way I was doing all that. 
And I was getting biceps, like just half assing, like taking extra long breaks. Yeah. Doing what I could. Like, you have to. You really have to, yeah, or you're going to die. Insanity will kill you. Like I was sweat. I had never sweat so hard in my life. I played right. basketball my whole life. I ran track, competed in national track, like played football. I had never sweat so much until I did. The interval training. Oh, bruh. Yeah, I need to get back and working out. But it that insanity that that was my jam mm. when I was working every day. Word. That's what's up. All right, well, well, Karen, I appreciate your time. I'm gonna let you get back to your family. Um, any final words, especially for those that are struggling with their identity being of mixed race or people that are still on that colorism thing? Uh, what's your What's your final words to those folks? Uh, I mean, just love yourself. Accept who you are. Live in your true identity. Don't follow what the stereotypes say you should be, but be who you know you are inside. And that's not outside. Mm, that's a big fact. For sure. Well, y'all heard it from Karen. Take her advice. She knows what she's talking about. Appreciate y'all for listening. Um, Karen, how can people reach out to you on the socials if they want to highlight you? Don't. No, Don't do it. <laughs> she ain't got time for y'all. <laughs> no, I'm on Facebook, Karen Camille. I don't use my last name because I want people to work finding me. And then uh, Instagram. <laughs> I think my Instagram is kcb199 word for sure all right and uh if y'all have any questions uh any comments um just anything you want to add to the podcast uh go ahead and hit me on twitter or instagram socks and sandals podcast if you're on itunes please rate five stars and leave a comment if you're on soundcloud hit that heart button hit that repost and once again, it's the Socks and Sandals podcast where society, culture, history, and religion collide. And we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. Holla at y'all next week. Grace and peace. <laughs>